Hello, hello, Discasters. How are you all doing today? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh, first off, apologies that there was no episode last week. January's been ridiculous. It's been hectic kind of jumping into the new year and everything and getting thing, getting balls rolling and stuff. So I want to I want to say I'm sorry, but uh, I promise to continue to be pumping these episodes out every week. Uh, if not for you, at least for me, <laughs> just to try and, you know, stay consistent with things. Uh, yeah. So with that out of the way, just off the bat, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into some major Disney stuff. So uh, first off, of course, just some quick Disney uh, headlines, of course. Uh, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest pieces of news that's happened over the last few, uh, few weeks um, was, of course, the fact that... Uh, so firstly, we have the, I believe it's the 30th anniversary of Disneyland Paris, or what was at one point known as Euro Disney, uh, coming up. And for that, we are getting a bit of a new look for one of our beloved characters. Minnie is going to be getting a brand new look coming up for the anniversary. Uh, she's going to be receiving a nice little pantsuit. Uh, that is, uh, that's been designed by Stella McCartney, the infamous, uh, fashion designer, daughter of Sir Paul McCartney, of course. Now, here's my initial opinions on it. First off, I personally don't care that they're putting Minnie, like, the, like, uh, that they're putting Minnie in a pantsuit. I don't care. (laughs) Like, I, yes, her iconic polka dot dress look has been that way for literally decades. But I mean, like, who's to say that you can't switch things up, right? And besides, this isn't the first time we've seen her in anything remotely outside of the normal. Like, she's she's shown up in various places dressed in other things before, right? So this is not like, it's not like this is a crazy leap in any direction or whatever. And also, why not? Like, Mickey's gone through countless different outfit changes why can't Minnie? i don't know it's just i think just people are because of course there are some people who are kicking back on to be like well this is stupid they shouldn't do this and it's like but why what is your reasoning it's like oh because it's ruining the classic character i'm like no it's not it's just giving her a different look you still have the other look that she exists in it's not a permanent look it again there are literal depictions of her in other things like and God forbid that she wear pants. I don't know. It's it's just so clearly... It's like The people who are hounding about it are so clearly just coming at it from a misogynistic point of view. It's like, I don't understand why you're mad. You're mad at the fact that somebody decided to change the official art of a character that we've known for over... For like a hundred years. I think it's about time that... It, it's about time for a change. And besides, I don't know. Now, here's my actual opinion on the actual look itself. Personally, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think the color is nice. It's supposed to be based off of Stella McCartney's famous blue suit. But I don't know. There's just something about the actual look that I'm not a fan of. I don't care that she's changing. I care more about the fact that I'm not a fan of the actual outfit itself. If that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. It's an, it's a fine, it's an okay look. I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. Again, it's not permanent, so it's just like a blue suit with black with black dots on it. I think that's what it is. I don't like the fact that they put black dots on it because I feel like everything seems so washed out. 
I think that's what it is. So like the black dots on the on it's a dark blue suit too. On like the the dark blue just don't blend well. They just look I don't know. It just looks muddy. It, it doesn't look clear. It doesn't look crisp. You know what I mean? So that, if anything, that'd be my only real critique about the actual outfit itself is that just, I'm not a fan of the actual look itself. So, uh, that's kind of the big thing that I've been seeing come up a lot. Um, of course we have, uh, continued things with, uh, in regards to what's it called? Uh, oh, um, uh, Star Wars Galactic Cruiser. Apparently, they're having issues hiring people uh, for it. I think that has to do with the fact that there's not a just the job opportunities aren't great because of just they're not getting paid well enough. And again, you know, that's I just don't think that's fair. You can't expect that much from people. You can't expect a certain level, the level that is to be expected from Disney, which is very high quality level, right? And you can't expect that from people when you're not paying them accordingly. You know what I mean? It's just It just comes back to that whole thing where they're just cutting corners and they don't really care about people. It feels like they just care about the bottom dollar. And that sucks because these people work hard. The Imagineers work hard. The cast members work immensely hard. And I feel like they should just be getting paid what they should be getting paid. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's just a real shame. But I'm also not surprised that the thing is failing. Because, like, when you do something, when you do something that is, like, as ambitious as this, and you get, and you do things like cut corners and care more about quantity as opposed to quality, and your price point doesn't, uh, doesn't reflect that, that's when you get things like that's when you get the issues because people can see it we as consumers are not stupid right and i think that's the part of the problem is that they think we're stupid they think we're just gonna go ahead and just buy into it because oh it's a new disney experience it's like no 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 no. there's been a certain level of quality that we have come to learn as disney consumers you know not not necessarily speaking from the, the film standpoint but from the actual parks themselves and from the experiences that we experience at the park. There's a certain level that we've come to learn and expect. And the fact is, is that we are not being given that. We are not being delivered that at the price that we are expected to pay. And that's the problem. And that needs to be fault. And that needs to be solved. So I guess the matter is, or I guess the question is becoming whether or not these issues will be resolved. And only time will really tell. But I'm I, I'm getting less and less excited about it. I'm getting less and less excited about the whole Star Wars Galactic Cruiser thing. I don't know. I'd just rather just do Disney World and just be happy with that. Anyway, so coming in to our main film, this this fucking gem of a movie. I watched it again, and I'm like, this movie is great. I love all of this. This is beautiful and it's a classic, and I see why. But Mary Poppins is awesome and great. Everyone is great. Everything about it is great, and I love it. It's 10 out of 10. You should watch it. <laughs> Those are my initial top of the, top of the show uh, thoughts on Mary Poppins. It's a fucking beautiful movie, and I love it. It's so, so sweet. It's so nice. 
freaking Julie Andrews just knocks it out of the park. Even Dick Van Dyke, who is an American actor, uh, who plays who plays Bert, he even even he does such a he even he does a really really good job. And especially the fact when you when you find out that um, so there there's okay. Well, I'm jumping. I'll start from the beginning. So the movie opens up with like this beautiful this beautiful score. This beautiful music, of course, by the Sherman Brothers, who at this point were kind of like the uh, the in-house uh, songwriters for Walt. Walt like kind of like threw them as much work as they could because they were really really good songwriters. So the Sherman Brothers uh, are the ones who did the songs and the music for this movie. They of course won Oscars for it because duh. But it opens up in this beautiful painting, and you have the credits going, and it's that wonderful music. Uh, uh, it's an overture is what it is. And so it pans over until you see a little, a little figure just sitting on a cloud and then it zooms in and there's Mary Poppins just kind of sitting there waiting, just like doing her makeup and like powdering her nose or whatever. And then like the, the, the little gag of like her bag is sinking into the cloud. She picks it up, let it sit, sets it again. Same with her umbrella. It's just the little gags are, are great. Um, and then of course we go from there down to street level where we meet one of our uh, one of our main secondary well hmm I don't know if he's a main secondary character but he's definitely he feels like a pretty significant character uh, of course I'm talking about Bert so we see Bert who's like doing a little bit of a one man band kind of thing which is very fun uh, and then he senses it and then he feels the winds change and because he we kind of go into this film not really knowing uh, but. The, the fact is that some of these characters just know who Mary Poppins is. They just know who she is. This is this is just something that we need to, that we as viewers learn throughout the film. And we just are like, all right, well, I guess Mary Poppins just, or people know who she is. This is just a thing, right? And so Bert senses this wind change and he knows what that means, right? He kind of, He's kind of like, oh, I think I, I think I know what's going on. And then he does a fourth wall break, a full fourth wall break, and speaks directly to the camera, directly to the viewer. And the viewer, and apparently the viewer is like, hey, we're looking for Cherry Tree, or uh, number 17 Cherry Tree Lane. And so he, like, uh, guides, uh, he, like, guides the camera as his, like, whole one-man band drum thing is, like, banging and clanging with every step. And he's like, this here's Cherry Tree Lane or whatever. Introduces us to some of the other characters there. He introduces us to uh, Admiral Boone and uh, his, I guess, first mate. Uh, just, just, just a silly character who's like a captain, who's like um, uh, a naval captain who just lives in a house. And he sets off a cannon every hour because why not? Like... Obviously, it's not like a loaded cannon, like with cannonballs or anything, but it's loaded with gunpowder, and he's and he's like the clock. He's he's the clock on uh, in that area. Everybody goes by him. Uh, so we meet him. It's adorable. He's a very very sweet old man. He's just very silly. And then we ended up and then we end up at Cherry Tree Lane, and then we hear clanging and stuff, and we find out that um, uh, the Banks family, to whom who lives in this house have a nanny and their nanny is not happy because apparently the children Jane and Michael are difficult or something and so she's kind of fed up with them so she's going to be quitting and so she's like having a bit of a fight with with Cook and uh with one of the other staff uh and they're all just kind of fighting against each other uh until finally Mrs. Banks arrives who is 
a suffragette. Now, the funny thing is, is that in the in the original story, so this film is based off of Mary Poppins, a book series, which is written by um, a woman by the name of P.L. Travers. And in the books, she's not a suffragette. But this was something specifically that Walt wanted to add into it. And I kind of like it. I dig it. Because, of course, this movie takes place in 1910, right? So this is during the suffragette movement in England. So it makes sense that it, this would happen. Or that you, that you would have, at least, that you would have this character be a suffragette. And uh, it's fun. And then we get in, we kind of get into, like, uh, this fun little thing where uh, it, it's, a, it's a song where... Mrs. Banks basically talks about being a suffragette and being in the suffragette movement and everything. Uh, and it's very fun. One of my favorite lines in this song is, <laughs> though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group, they're rather stupid. And honestly, I, <laughs> I love, I love it. It's just so funny. It's so funny and silly. And it's like, yeah, yeah, men are silly. Men are dumb. Just men are dumb. It's fine. <laughs> and like, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, and just as a man, I'm like, yeah, this is just really funny. I like this. It's very silly. Um, and, but then afterwards, Katie Nana, who is the Nana, uh, is quitting because of course, Jane and Michael have, uh, ran away for the fourth time this week, apparently. And so then, and so the nanny is just over it. She's done. And so she quits. Uh, Mr. Manx arrives. Uh, he finds out that the kids have left. Uh, or he finds out that the nanny has left and everything. And then the kids show up at the door with one of the constables, Constable Jones, uh, who is there to guide them home because apparently they got lost in, I think it was the park or something. They were chasing a kite. So honestly, like something just super, super like chill. <laughs> it's like, oh, you just happened to lose your kite and you got lost in the, in the thing well i'm just glad you're home kind of like you would think that would be the reaction but of course mr banks is your very standard heavily patriarchal you know white upper middle class british man like even in the song he's because he's the, and then he sings a song called uh, life i lead which is basically talking about how he, oh he loves the life that he has you know uh he comes home at like six o'clock. His dinner and his uh, his sherry are at six o two. Kind of like he lives a very regimented life, and everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be set, and everything has to be the, the like this specific way. And anything that goes through uh, that like muddles that up, he just doesn't like. And so with his kids, his kids being you know children, being the way that they are, he gets frustrated with them because they're not acting how they should be, right? And so that's kind of where you kind of get an idea of the character of of Mr. Banks. You can tell that he's just kind of an ass. Like, there's no easy way to put it. He's just kind of a dick. Anyway, so he gets frustrated with his kids. He scolds them, and then he realizes, okay, well, well now we need a new nanny. And so he sends the kids off. He sends the kids away, and he starts to write down notes with his wife. Uh, who it's funny because, like, with her being the suffragette and wanting women's rights and the right to vote and everything, she becomes like a very, very different person when Mr. Banks is in the house. And this is something that I really noticed only recently. This, like, right uh, at this recent watch, is that she becomes like a very typical doting housewife to him. Very 
like, I don't want to say fully submissive to him, but you can tell that she is act, and you can tell that it's an act too, is that she's acting like he's the head of the house, that, you know, he's the one that everyone must uh, respect and everything, which, you know, to be fair, you, you should still respect everyone in the house, but like that you can tell that there's a clear hierarchy and that Mr. Banks is meant to be at the top and she's under him kind of thing, right? So it's interesting kind of seeing that dynamic even even after like because like anytime she ever talks about the suffragette movement or going or going to these rallies and everything, she gets super, super excited. right? You can tell that's where her true passion. So she and Mr. Banks uh, make notes about uh, because they're gonna put an advertisement in or they're gonna put an ad into uh, I think they say the Times, I think it's gonna be the London Times, but in, into the paper for a nanny for a new nanny. And so they do that. Uh, it's a whole song too. Um, but then the Banks children, Jane and Michael, show up with their own list. And it's a cute list, you know, it's like, uh, you know, she must be kind, she must be witty, uh, very sweet and very pretty, you know, like all these very positive notes, you know, like stern, but kind kind of thing. And so he takes it, he sends them off to bed, and then he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he tears it up, throws it into the fireplace. And then, uh, and then we get a clip, and then we get a cut of the papers actually beginning to float into the chimney, and it's like, oh, what's happening there? Ooh, spoopy. Anyway, <laughs> of course we know what's happening. Anyway, cuts to the next day, and there's a whole lineup of nannies in front of number seventeen. Uh, there's a bit of a discussion about like when to let them in, but Mr. Banks is like, nope, I said eight o'clock. Promptly at eight o'clock is when I can is when we start letting them in, and we shall keep to that schedule. So again, keep very very much reminding us that he's a very regimented man. So coming to eight o'clock, which of course is when the cannon blows, it, they do a very funny physical gag as well that because number seventeen is like directly next door to. Uh, to the admiral and so when his cannon goes off it shakes the it shakes not only his building but then the building next to it so every time they come to the hour everybody says posts everyone and so they run to like anything loose and the thing goes off and they have to hold things so that nothing falls and it's just a very fun little bit of physical comedy and i think it's it's very clever and it's very funny um and so this is where we start getting things uh, where things start to get a little interesting. So Jane and Michael are looking out of their nursery window, and they see all the nannies there. They all look the same. They are these random old white women, all dressed in black. Like, every single one of them is wearing the same outfit. It's kind of weird. <laughs> and so and Jane makes the point of saying, like, none of these are, are who we asked for. None of these people look like who we want. And then suddenly a big windstorm happens, and it literally blows all of these nannies away. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, for that to happen, it would have to be a hell of a wind. Like, I'm talking, like, hurricane-level winds kind of thing. And then out from out from the clouds comes Mary Poppins floating down on her umbrella, like, holding her umbrella. And she looks amazing. She looks mystical and magical and everything. There's a little funny bit where she's about to crash into, the into like into the the, con the the stone wall in front of the house, and then she goes, whoop, she goes right over it, and then lands in front of the house. And then knocks on the door, and then uh, one of the uh, one of the helpers, uh, it's not the cook, and I can't remember her name, but it's like the cook's, the, the, the other lady, uh, lets her in. She's the only one, because everybody else, you know, was blown away. 
And so Mary Poppins comes in to speak to Mr. Banks. And this is where we start to see a very, very fun dynamic between the two of them. So Mary Poppins' character is very, like, uh, very proper, right? She takes, like, no shit, and she's very to the, f- to, to, to the fact, to the point where, like, Mr. Banks is, like, straight up asks her, is, like, um, uh, you have your references with you? May, may I please see them? And then Mary Poppins just straight up says, is, like, oh, I make it a point never to, never to give references. And it's, like... Oh, and Mr. Banks just responds, oh, really? Well, we'll have to see about that. It makes a note. Dy- but so you can tell that there's going to be like this very interesting dynamic between the two of them. Because quite frankly, they're both like very hard-headed characters. But they're very different types of hard-headed characters. Mr. Banks is somebody who's hard-headed and will never let anything change because everything has to be his way. Whereas Mary Poppins is hard-headed, but she's hard-headed with a little bit of flexibility in that it's like, you know, she'll let things happen if it means that something better will come out of it, if that makes sense. Like she's, she, she accepts change much more than Mr. Banks accepts change. That's kind of like the, they're kind of two sides of the same coin in that sense. And I really like it. Like their dynamic is very, very interesting. It's very fun. Anywho. And so she pulls out a piece of paper with, uh, with the, with the ad. And it turns out as she's reading it, it happens to be the ad that was made by the children. And Mr. Banks looks at the paper and he can see he can see the tear marks like he can see where it was torn. So it was somehow uh, like retrieved and like taped back together or something like that. And so he's shocked. He's like, what the hell? And so he he's kind of he becomes very like mystified and very, you know, like, what the fuck? And so he looks at the he looks at the, the fireplace. He's like, I know I tore I, I tore it. I folded it toward again like he's like going through the whole thing again like trying to remind himself but and he's like i don't i don't understand and so mary poppins is like are you are you okay you did ask for a nanny right he's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so with him being super distracted she's like okay well i'm just gonna go ahead and get started and she's like and, he, and mr Banks is like yeah okay okay sure that's fine <laughs> it's very very funny it's very funny how they do it i like it um and so then mary poppins goes uh goes up to see the kids but how she does like this is where we immediately see the what i really like about it is that they don't ease into it they do not keep you beating around the bush with the kind of character that mary poppins is right you see her you meet her you you pretty much know everything that she's about right to the point of where she sits on the railing of the uh of the stairs and just starts sliding upwards. So now we know, like, of course we knew already she was magic, but now we're seeing, you know, more of it. And she meets the kids, and she, she, and she's like, please clo- close your mouth, please, Michael, we are not a codfish. And I just really like that line. I think it's very funny. So she takes the kids to the nursery, and the kids are just, they, they love her, because she's very much what they were looking for, uh, according to the ad. And so she begins to get settled in. Uh, there's a funny gag where... Uh, Mr. Banks kind of just accepts the fact that yes, the position has been filled or whatever. Uh, and it's interesting because like Mrs. Banks comes in and she's like, Oh, you wonderful job, George. I would have muddled the whole thing. And I'm like, I really don't think that's true, but I know what you're doing. I know you're only doing it to satisfy his own, his own like, uh, fragile ego, especially his own like fragile ego as a man and everything. So I get why she's doing it, but it kind of annoys me a little bit. But anyway, and so then they said they tell one of the the maids to tell everybody to go home because the position has been filled. 
But then she opens the door and the only other person there is like this dog. <laughs> Which, honestly, I wouldn't be mad if I had a nanny and it turned out to be a dog. It was fun. <laughs> Very Peter Pan. Uh, and so now Mary Poppins is like settling in and this is where we see more of her mysticalness, right? She has like this big carpet bag uh, and she's getting settled into like her room. She's pulling shit out of it. Like it's like it's a bag of holding for God's sake. It's very, very fun. And the kids are like all like, what the fuck? What is happening right now? It's very, very fun. Uh, she measures them, which is a fun little gag uh, to basically just like kind of judge like not necessarily judge them but to kind of get a feel of them so she like pulls out the measuring tape and whatever and she's like let's see and uh kind of gets an idea of who they are as as people and she pulls she measures herself it's like mary poppins practically perfect in every way it's like yes of course you are and that's where you first hear her kind of being introduced as mary poppins that's where we find out who she is really and she goes and helps them with uh with cleaning up the nursery, which is a fun, it's a fun little thing. Um, it's where we get another song. Uh, it's, and it's just a cool little se- sequence of them, like snapping stuff uh, uh, to make things magically go back to where they were. I think they did a really cool thing with how they filmed it because it's, it's apparent that some of it was filmed in reverse, which I really like. Cause you can see when the kids show up in front of front of like their beds or something. And you can, so very obviously tell that there's green screen or that they're supposed to, that there's meant to be two screen kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but like, I don't know if it necessarily takes me out of it. Um, it's, I don't know, like part, maybe it does a little bit, but then at the same time I'm like, Oh, but I get it because this was done in like the mid, you know, in uh, late, late fifties. Right. So the technology was not necessarily as good. Well, it wasn't as good as how we have it today because obviously it would look a lot cleaner um, but I, it still didn't bother me because it was still a very fun sequence of like them using reversed, uh, what's it called? Um, reversed, uh, film in order to achieve the goal that they wanted. So like, there's a moment where, uh, Michael, uh, snaps his fingers and a bunch of books come into his arm. And it's funny. You can tell like looking closely you can obviously tell that that was filmed in reverse like it was obvious that he like he stood there tilted it so that the books would fall and then like just kind of lobbed it so that it would look like he kind of caught everything but still regardless it's a very very fun sequence and then everything ends up going a little a little loopy and then mary's just just kind of yells at everything's like when you are quite finished because obviously things got a little too carried away uh this this is this is when we get spoonful of sugar the in that famous song spoonful of sugar uh and then once everything is cleaned up uh then it goes into an outing into the park and then that's where we see bert again and this is where we kind of get an idea of the dynamic between this quartet and i think it's a cute little thing it's like bert becomes kind of not necessarily a father figure but like a father of a fatherly friend to the group to the kids which i really like um of course, Bert knows who Mary Poppins is, and um, and we meet Bert when he's doing when he's off on like another business venture. Because of course, the idea behind, Bert kind of is become his whole character is that he's like I believe I do believe he's either homeless or he's just very very poor, 
and so he try he's trying to do anything that he can in order to score uh, score a pound right first at the beginning of the film we had him as a one-man band now in this sequence we have him as uh a street chalk artist street chalk artist is that what they call him uh a street painter basically uh using chalk and he's actually quite good like he's not bad and so just anything to kind of keep him you know to keep a few shillings in his pocket kind of thing so they show up and then um because of course bert knows that mary poppins can do magic um bert's like well why don't we uh how about a fun little outing or whatever i'm sure like i'm sure you've got something up your sleeve mary poppins and of course mary poppins denies everything because she always does until he decides to take matters into his own hands and tries to kind of express a little bit of magic for the kids and then, uh, of course, because nothing happens, so Mary ends up taking it upon herself, and so she takes everyone into this beautiful countryside scene uh, where there's like a little, uh, like a county fair, kind of like over the hill kind of thing. And this is where we have the infamous animated sequence. Now, this was a big deal. This is a big deal because this kind of stuff didn't happen in film. The, 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 the idea that they could combine animation and live action like that the way they did was revolutionary at that time it truly was i think uh it was truly evident at as to how much of a forward-thinking genius that walt disney was because he had this idea he's like yeah i want to do this but then i also like i want to have an animated sequence because that's what we're famous for but also i want to have julie and dick in this animated sequence but like as people and they were like uh okay i guess we're just gonna have to do that now <laughs> and so they did and i i think it's great like the animated sequence is beautiful i think it's so fun uh jolly holiday is a very very fun song and this is where you get like this cute like little uh like this dynamic between bert and mary some believe it's bordering romantic I don't necessarily know because like they try really hard to make it not fully romantic, but I can tell that he kind of, like, I think it's one of those things where it's like Bert definitely has an extreme fondness for Mary, whether it's platonic or not. He has an extreme fondness for her and Mary and Mary kind of shares a little bit of that fondness for Bert, but I think the fondness isn't necessarily to the level that Bert has, if that makes sense, you know, like, Yes, he yes, she likes him, she cares for him and everything, but not to the point that I think Bert does for her kind of thing. Uh, but honestly, their dynamic works. Like I, I I really like it. At the very, very least, they they are very, very close friends. They're very, very friendly, and it's very sweet, and I love it. Uh, eventually, of course, uh, well, we have the famous penguins, uh, who have kind of become staples, really. Like you see these penguins, like the waiter penguins, in various other in various other Disney depictions, like I remember when it was when um, there was that old cartoon called The House of Mouse, where basically Mickey owned like a big, uh, like a big dinner theater hall or something, and you had like a bunch of like Disney owned characters and everything, and and like the penguins were the waiters, but like almost, but like the penguins are characters that you kind of see crop up in very in like a lot of different. Um, and a lot of other things kind of like all scattered around Disney, if that makes sense. 
I think that makes sense. Yes? Yes. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway. <laughs> but, like, the, you know the penguins to see them. So, yeah, the penguins, famous penguin sequence. And then we go into the merry-go-round with where uh, Mary and Bert meet up with the kids. They go through. Mary ends up making it so that the horses jump off the merry-go-round, and they end up going down and down and down. They come across a fox hunt in which Bert saves the fox. Uh, then Mar- then they end up on, like, a racetrack. Mary goes on the racetrack. She wins it. And then, of course, we have supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, uh, which is probably my favorite song in the entire movie. It's such a fun song. It's great. Um, it is, of course, a nonsense word. It makes absolutely no sense. It is just nothing. It, it, it just means nothing. So I think the idea is that it's meant to be used for everything kind of thing. At least that's how they more or less explained it. Um, now, here's my one, probably my one little gripe i don't know i have like a little just a teeniest little bit of frustration with this uh with this word and it's in the it's in the song and it's when uh mary is like explaining it and she's like uh what was it and she's like i'm trying to remember like these these quotes i've seen this movie so many times (laughs) i love it uh, which is like, you know, you can't say it backwards, which is like docious, uh, docious, aliexbiistic, fragicali rupus. And I'm like, that's not right. I like that doesn't that's not right, because if you're going to say it backwards, it's more like, uh, oh, my God, I'm going to try and say it backwards now. <laughs> uh, docious, uh, la la Bixes I think I tried. <laughs> but the point is is that she doesn't say it exactly right. Um of course she doesn't say it how it's supposed to be said backwards, but I'll let it go. I'll let it go because the song itself is just super fun and also just to say it ba- to say it in in big air quotes backwards is is also kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, so the that whole song is great. That whole sequence happens, and then suddenly you hear a thunderstorm, and then uh, their whole outing kind of gets stopped because of the rain, uh, and so it kind of washes away the all the paint and or all the chalk and everything. And of course, Mary's like, "Oh, Bert, you're you know your beautiful paintings," and he's like, "Well, you know, it's just how it happens. You know, there'll be more," which is. I have to admit, I'm actually very, like, fond of Bert and his whole view of the world and stuff, you know. Like, try new things, and don't be afraid to try, and if they fail, they fail. It's okay. Like, you can come back and try something else, or, you know, try again. So, I, re- I really like his I really like his view of things. I like his outlook on life. It's very positive, which I think is nice. Anyway. Uh, and then after that... Then we get to uh, we come back with the kids to uh, Seventeen Cherry Tree Lane, of course, and uh, and then we get and then the kids all try and drink or are being forced to drink medicine because, of course, they were out in the rain and you see all their clothes hanging next to the fireplace. And of course, they don't want to drink the gross medicine or whatever. But the here's the cool thing, and I think I only really noticed it in this most recent watching. But like when Mary Poppins is pouring is pouring their medicine in their spoons 
it's a different color every time, which is wild to me. And I'm like, how? How? And the only way that I can think of is that you would have to have liquid inside the bottle at differing densities so that when you pour, it gets rid of one color and then pour again and then it would go into the next color down because that one is uh that color would be more dense than the one previous to it so that so you could layer it like you like you can there are places where you can find bottles of liquid where it's layered in color so it is a thing that can be done but it's just wild to watch it happen because if you look closely you see in the spoons of the children they're all different colors it's wild and so they drink them and of course they taste delicious for each of them like, uh, I think um, uh, Michael has strawberry, Jane has lime cordial, and then Mary has rum punch. Because, of course, why not? Uh, so it's very fun. Uh, it's very fun in that sense. Uh, and then because they're all so excited about stuff, they don't want to go to sleep. And so Mary kind of lulls them to sleep with a lullaby with... Uh, I think I can't remember what the actual name of the song is, but I think it's it. But um, uh, it basically tells them like, yeah, sure, stay awake. You don't have to go to bed. It's fine. But it's like a beautiful, uh, a beautiful melody. Then the next morning, we see Mary and the Banks children off to run some errands, but then they get interrupted by that little dog that was there at the beginning, when uh, when he was shooed away. Uh, I forget the dog's name. The dog has a name. Anyway, so the dog comes up to them and starts barking at Mary Poppins, who can apparently speak dog, question mark? <laughs> because why not? And so she she and the children follow him to a friend of theirs, uh, a an old man who is named Uncle Albert, and meets them, and Bert's there already. Oh, sorry, no, because it's Bert's Uncle Albert. Uh, and so what happened is he's gotten himself stuck on the ceiling from laughter. So apparently if you laugh too much, you'll start to float because <laughs> that's a thing. And so now they're charged with trying to get him down. Like how the hell are they going to get him down? What's happening anyway? And so then we have the song, uh, I love to laugh, uh, which is, uh, which is beautiful. It's very fun. Uh, and then. They're trying not to, but then Bert ends up laughing like crazy, so he joins him up, and then the kids start laughing, and then they join, and then Mary's like, well, fuck. <sighs> well, it's tea time, so I'm not going to miss tea, and so they all, and so she, not laughing, but just magically makes herself float up, and then makes the tea float up from the ground, from the floor, so now they're all having tea, a tea party on the ceiling, and it's hilarious and adorable, and like a proper tea party, and they're just like trading stories and stuff, trading jokes, it's fun, until, of course, they figure out that, okay, well, now it's time to go. And so the way to get down is just to think of something sad, unfortunately. And so the, the sad thing that they all think of is the fact that they have to go, which I get. Like, you know, when you're having a good time at a party, but then you got to go, you're like, oh, it's just really sad when you have to leave. So everybody sinks to the ground. And then Bert and Albert are kind of all really, really sad. They're crying. And then uh, the Banks kids return uh Return back to the house and Mr. Banks shows up and he's just kind of annoyed because everybody's excited. Like everybody's in a good mood and he hates it for some reason. 
I mean, I don't know, man. The guy's just bitter. The guy needs to like relax a little bit. But maybe that's just what happens when you what happens when you work at a bank, just a really depressing bank all the time. Anyway, uh, and so from there we get the sense that of course he's like annoyed. He's annoyed that Mary Poppins is filling his, his kids heads with just this utter imagine imaginative nonsense and everything. And he's like, they need structure. They need this, this, this. And she's like, you're right. They need to know about the life you lead and everything. And so like, she starts to kind of lead this thing into his head that he needs to take the kids. And so he sort of convinces him or, or, or she convinces him to take the kids on an outing, which is really sweet. An outing to the bank. Uh, and then, so they, so because of this one-on-one, the kids think that means that Mary Pons is going to get fired. She's like, what? Absolutely not. And so, uh, he tells, she tells the kids that they're going to go on an outing with their father to the bank. Uh, and then, and then they, uh, she shows him the, or she shows them the snow globe of, uh, I think it's St. It's St. Paul's Cathedral in London, right by the bank. And she sings the song, uh, Feed the Birds, uh, to kind of tell them about the woman who sits there feeding the birds, uh, pay or offers, or she sells bags of seeds and feed for the birds. You can also feed the birds yourself. Now, this song is very special. This song is particularly special because it was, it is very, very, very firmly known to be Walt's favorite song in this movie. When they, when they, when the Sherman brothers showed Walt this song, he fell in love with it immediately. I think this was also the first song they wrote for the film. I can't remember, but it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful sequence. And the fact that it's Walt's favorite, I think is also very telling. Um, there's a moment or there's there's a story that uh, Richard Sherman told uh, that Walt would just kind of like stand at his window and Richard would be at the piano and all he would say is, he would just be staring out the window and all he would say is just play it and that's it oh it's actually here right here uh, sorry Robert Sherman uh, quote on Fridays after work Walt would often invite us into his office and we'd talk about things that were going on at the studio. After a while, he'd wander to the north window, look out into the distance, and just say, play it. And Dick, Richard, would wander over to the piano and play Feed the Birds for him. One time, just as Dick almost finished under his breath, I heard Walt say, yep, that's what it's all about. It's a beautiful story, and I don't know why it gets that story gets to me. Like, it gets to me a lot, that story. I don't know why, but... It's just, uh, I think it's just the idea of just Walt just being pensive and just like, I really like this song you guys wrote and I want to hear it. So it's, it's just a beautiful story. Anyway, so she sings a song and then the next morning the kids go with their father to the bank and things don't exactly go the way that they should. So they see they see the bird lady and uh, Michael, who has two pence, uh, which in the film they say tuppence, which is basically two pence. And uh, and uh, yeah, and they're kind of like enamored by her. 
understandably so the woman seems incredibly charming <laughs> um but then after because michael expresses his desire to buy a bag of feed and just feed birds you know but uh but their father says no 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 let me show you something better that you can do with your tub with your tuppence or whatever so they go to the bank and uh, the intention i think is to have Michael deposit his money into the bank in order to begin or like to open an account, basically, which which I can understand and is actually a good idea. I think the issue is the the main issue here is just the fact that their father is so heavily set in his ways, he's not willing to listen to what his children want. And so it's more. It's more like, oh, yeah, I, I see what it is that you want to do, but here's something you can do that's better because it's what I say. You know what I mean? And so it be, very become it, it, this whole this movie is very much an um, very, is very much a Mr. Banks, a George Banks versus versus his kids because George has everything set. He knows what's right. Everything has to be his way. And his kids just want to be kids. His kids want to live in a world where things can just be fun, where, you know, maybe maybe today you don't take your money to the bank. Maybe today you just hang out for a bit and just, you know, feed some birds, you know? Like, that kind of thing. Anyway, so they go to the bank, and then uh, George introduces his kids to all these stuffy bankers. They all look the role. They all look like it. They're all wearing bowler hats and suits and just, ugh, barf. (laughs) Here's the funny thing, though, is that, so there's... Mr. Doors, Mr. Daw- Mr. Dawes Jr., who is uh, who helps run the bank, and then there's his father, Mr. Dawes, and his father is actually played by uh, Dick Van Dyke. So Dick Van Dyke plays Bert, and he plays the elder Mr. Dawes, who's very old. He walks with a cane. He's you know he, and so it's 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 an amazing example of just this physical comedy that Dick Van Dyke can do. Like he, when he's talking, he's talking about the excitement of the bank, and he's like, "When the bank, when the Bank of England stands, England stands." And then he like begins to lean forward and begins to fall forward, and everybody catches him. And then he's like, "When the Bank of England falls, England falls." And then he like leans back, and then he begins to fall backwards again. Everybody catches him. It's just a funny little bit of physical comedy that I think um, Dick Van Dyke can do really, really well. And all during all this, basically, they sing a song called Fidelity Fiduciary Bank, in which these bankers are all trying to convince Michael to uh, to deposit his money into the bank, right? As a way to be like, look, this is what you can do with your money. It's a great idea. And admittedly, it is a good idea. Like, it's, it's, it is a good idea. What they're telling him isn't bad financial advice. It is a good idea to invest your money and to put it into things like stocks and all that stuff. So the, the idea of investment is not a bad idea. The, the, the issue becomes when you're doing it against the person's wish because you're trying to coerce them because you want them to put your money in. Like you want them to put their money with you. You know, it, it, it comes off as greedy and comes off as deceptive and manipulative. And it's so much to the point of when, like, Michael is just standing there holding his money and his hand kind of begins to open just as he's relaxing and, and listening to the doctrine or whatever, the dogma. And then Elder Mr. Dodge just reaches in, gra- basically takes his money from him and is like, welcome to the family of investors. And Michael's like, what the fuck, dude? And so he, like, demands them back, obviously. 
So all these other customers at, who are at the bank are all hearing this, and they're like, whoa, hold on. The bank isn't giving that, that person back their money. And they're like, well, fuck that. I want my money. And so everybody like starts trying to, you know, uh, trying to take the money. It's basically a run on the bank, basically. And so this is causing an issue. Uh, and so the kids, uh, they have, so Michael takes his, his money back. Jane and Michael end up rushing off and they just run into, they just run into the mist and they bump into Bert, who's, uh, covered in soot. <laughs> he's just covered in soot because now he's a chimney sweep because why the hell not? <laughs> and so then he takes them or they, they're, he's, he's talking to him and they, and they express the fact that they think, uh, they express remorse and guilt because they feel what they did was was terrible, which admittedly, you know, it's not exactly the best thing to cause a run on a bank. But it's also like, yeah, but it's also not necessarily your fault, you know, at the same time. And so, But the kids feel guilty because they're worried about their father and everything. And they think their father hates them and blah, blah, blah. But Bert reassures them. He's like, no, 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 no. Your dad doesn't hate you. Like your dad's, your dad loves you. He wants to take care of you. So does Mary Poppins, and so do I, and all this. Stuff. He's, and he's so, but then he reminds them, like, yeah, but but who's who takes care of your father? He's there in that bank, you know, and he he equates the bank to a cage, uh, which I think is a very smart thing. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, it's a good it's a good uh, comparison, I think, and. Um, yeah, so he just tries to calm them down and, like, explain to them, like, yeah, your dad doesn't hate you. It's just, you know, he he just has all these other things that he stresses out over, you know, because who's there to take care of him? Because he has to worry about everybody else, which I get. I understand that, but at the same time, he could be less of a dick about it. Anyway, <laughs> that's fine. And so, and so then he's walking them back, and then that's where we get Chim Chimarie, which is another one of the super big songs in this movie. I mean, like, seriously... Like, this this movie has some freaking bangers in it. Like, even the smaller songs, like Fidelity Fiduciary Bank and Life I Lead uh, and um, Sister Suffragette, even the smaller songs are still really good. Like, in comparison to, like, the big, big songs, like Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, Feed the Birds, and even Chim Chim Marie, like... Like, this movie has no bad songs. It's so good. Anyway, so they go back. They go back to the house. And then uh, Mrs. Banks is, like, on her way to a rally. And then uh, Bert is like, here's the kids or whatever. And she's like, oh, would you mind staying until Mr. Banks arrives? And he's like, oh, no, sorry, I got to go. You know, Mr. So-and-so has a clogged up chimney. And she's like, oh, that's perfect. Our chimney is awful. Can you come and do ours? And so he's like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. You know, because why turn down a job? And so while they're waiting, uh, Bert goes in and does his thing. Uh, and then Mary Mary shows up. Mary's gone this entire time because it's apparently the second Tuesday because she asked for the second Tuesday of every month off. So I guess it's the second Tuesday of that month. What she does, we have no idea. It's a mystery. It's always been a mystery. I don't think we'll ever really know. Unless it's somewhere in the book and I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so... So then Mary comes in and like warns Michael to be careful around a chimney because you don't know what's ever going to happen. And so he's got the the big giant or the, the, the chimney sweep, like the physical thing, the broom up the chimney. And then suddenly whoosh, he goes right up the chimney because a big draft like just pulls him out, which doesn't actually happen. But of course, in this movie, it does. 
And so he's like, oh, shit. And so Bert's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so then all three of them end up following Michael all the way up to the, to the roof. Uh, and this is a very fun sequence because it's like it's uh, it, they convince Mary Poppins to take a look at the just walk along the rooftops of the neighborhood and just experience a different uh, like a different viewpoint of London that nobody really gets because only the chimney sweeps really do because they're the ones that are up there all the time. So she's like, okay, fine. So they get in marching order and they end up off and they're kind of like marching along and they're like these really cool like silhouette sequences where they're stuck, where they're going across uh, set pieces that are like chim or that are chimneys and rooftops and stuff. It's very, very cool. Until finally they get to probably one of my favorite shots in this movie. And it's funny because it's not actually physically London. It is a matte painting in which all the windows have been left empty and uh, transparent. And it's basically a matte painting. And then what they did was they then took flames and set it behind the painting so that the flames would look like blinking, would look like twinkling lights through the windows and everything. It is stunning. It is a beautiful beautiful piece of cinema of just the shot itself and it's just you're like you're like that's a fucking painting but it is so gorgeous and to have that effect of the fire behind it with like the twinkling lights and everything oh it's gorgeous it's stunning beautiful and then we get into the point where uh bert sees some of his friends his other chimney sweep friends and then we get step in time which is just a fun song and dance sequence very very a la golden age hollywood and it's wonderful the choreography is great the songs are the song itself is very fun. It's literally just the same thing over and over. It's basically just a repeat song, but it's just such a fun upbeat number. You just can't stop. You just can't ignore it. And then they end up back into the Banks's home in number seventeen, and they're all doing dancing, dancing. Uh, there's a moment where Mrs. Banks is back, I guess, back from her rally, a very short rally, and then like the the sweeps all join her in a chant of votes for women or votes for women, uh, which I thought was very funny. And then Mr. Banks shows up, everybody leaves, everybody shakes his hand, and then he's just kind of, uh, he's like officially fed up and annoyed, and he talks to Bert, and he's like, that woman has just done nothing but cause chaos in this house, blah, 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 convincing me to take the kids on an outing, and then Bert's like, really? That's a real shame. God forbid, like, like I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but basically it's like, God forbid that, you know, their kids' father ends up taking them on an outing. Oh, what a shame. It's awful. And kind of, like, makes him think. It's like, yeah, like, you know, eventually your kids are going to grow up and you're going to miss everything. Like, it's one thing to focus on work and focus on being an adult, but it's different when you have kids because you have to be there for them you know because you miss everything if you don't and really puts things in perspective for mr banks he it does it it does it so much more eloquently in the film obviously and kind of in like pseudo song uh it's it's just a beautiful beautiful sequence and it's just really really nice and then michael and jane show up and they apologize and then michael gives him the money he's like you can take it it's fine and then they leave, and then, of course, he gets the call from the bank, basically, to come to the bank, because he's going to get fired, basically. And uh, so he goes to the bank. You know, it's 
very much like a, this is just it. This is going to be it. This is like the, uh, this is the end of my time at the bank. He knows he's going to get fired. And then he shows up at the bank. He shows up in this big uh, meeting hall. And then they, they do something very interesting because it's almost ritualistic. So they take his umbrella, they open it, and then they push it so that it folds out. Like they kind of push it all the way. They take his bowler hat. They punch the head of it, like the, the, the top bit of it, so that it kind of has a flippy flap. They take his flower. They tear the petals off, and they give it back to him. And it's, it's almost ritualistic as to how they fire him. It's very, very interesting. So once he's done, he's just there, and they're like, "Well, Banks, do you have anything else to say?" Because uh, of course they just they had like just basically told him that like their his kids basically caused a run on the bank, and the last time there was a run on the bank was during was uh, the Boston Tea Party when the American revolutionaries dumped all the tea in the into the water. Uh, it caused apparently a huge issue with stocks and banks, and I don't know. It was apparently a big problem financially. And so Mr. Banks is standing there. He's like, and he, he grabs this, he grabs the money. And then he's like, yeah, I have something to say. And then he says, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And it's at this point, because he's holding his kid's money. And there's like a, it's like a switch changed in him. And he finally understands everything. He finally gets it. It all clicks. He finally understands what his kids have been trying to do this, this entire time. And it's quite it's quite sweet, actually. And so he goes to them, and then he explains this joke. He explains the joke that he was told. Uh, I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith. Which uh, is just a stupid joke, but I still laugh at it every time. It's so funny. Um, and then he gives them the money. He's like, here, take the money, guard it well. And then he leaves. Just laughing and singing and just as as if this great weight had been lifted off of his shoulders his entire demeanor changed cut to the next morning and no one has seen him because he because uh, he went to the bank last night or the night previously so no one has seen him so constable jones is there and he's like speaking to the share or to the con to the to scotland yard or whatever being like yeah like i don't he hasn't been seen at all Nothing, nothing. Like, no, he's he was never one for, like, hanky-panky or, or an affair or anything like that. He just vanished. So it's just a big mystery where he was. And then, eventually, they just start hearing him. And he's singing. And then he shows up at the house. And he's all, his, again, his entire demeanor has changed. And he's all happy and everything. And then um, he calls down Jane and Michael, who don't believe it's him because it doesn't sound like him. Which is very, very telling, I think. But then they go down and they see their father and then he's and they see that the kite that they had flown at the beginning of the film that got caught in a wind and got torn up uh he patched it and so he's like yeah let's and so he gets his kids together to basically fly a kite and that's where you have the final song in the in the movie let's go fly a kite and it's all very sweet and uh it's it is of course an indication that it is time for Mary to leave because she had said that she would stay until the wind changes. And it's cool how they depict that because there's a weather vane uh, on top of the, the Admiral's house and they have the wind coming from like east to west. And then at this point they showed the wind going from west to east. So literally the wind direction has changed. And, um, but it's cool because uh, 
not only is it a literal meaning, but it's also a very figurative meaning as well when, that the winds change, right? Because when, when you say that, oh, uh, the winds are changing, that mean that, that mean that actual change is happening. And so, of course, in the life of the Banks children, uh, the, the, the winds have changed because now Mr. Banks, George Banks is now, you know, he's just better now. Uh, he understands what it's like to just let things go and not have everything be perfect and to just take things as they come, which I think is very nice. Uh, and so they're all flying the kite and there is Mr. Dawes Jr. And he tells him, he's like, oh yes, by the way, that joke that you told us before you left, that was a very good one. My father laughing so hard and it shows Mr. Dawes laughing at the joke because he gets it. Because the joke is, I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith. And then the other guy, and then one guy, or sorry, so there's two people. I'm, here I am telling the joke poorly. <laughs> so one guy tells, tells his friend, I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith. And then his friend asks him, oh, that's nice. What's the name of his other leg? So it's just a very funny, uh, it's just a very silly joke. But apparently Mr. Dawes got it, got it. And he starts laughing like crazy. And he ends up floating. So we see Mr. Dawes floating, and so we so now we see that this magic that Mary Poppins knows and 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 that we've been introduced to, isn't just exclusive to the people that she knows kind of thing, because obviously she doesn't know who these bankers are, and so Mr. Dawes Jr. is basically like, yeah, like he he loved it. He literally died laughing last night, and then it, <laughs> George is like, oh, I am so sorry. He's like, no, don't worry about it. It's the happiest he's been in fucking forever. Which is a good sign. And so what happens is they reemploy him. They reemploy Mr. Mr. Banks as a junior partner, which is kind of a big deal. And so the whole family's flying a kite. Mr. And uh, Mary Poppins is just basically just ready to go. And she leaves. That's it. She just, without, without nary a goodbye, she just leaves. And I think it's nice because it's not about her. I mean, the movie is called Mary Poppins, but it's not about her. It's about this family, and it's about their interactions with each other, and about how sometimes you just need an outside force to really make you change perspective, if that makes sense. And yeah, that's the movie. I love this movie. I think it's wonderful. It's so very sweet. Some would say that this movie is more about Mr. Banks than anything else, and I would, I'd be inclined to agree in that the biggest character arc occurs with Mr. Banks, you know? So like the movie is there is very much about him change uh, about him changing his, his outlook on things about him changing his viewpoints. So I, I very much understand that aspect. Like I get it. I very much get it. And uh, yeah, this movie is wonderful. I think it holds up. I think it's a, beautiful beautiful movie uh it's it's not a very diverse film i'll tell you that but i do still think that this movie just this movie is just wonderful it's yeah this movie is just it's 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 a wonderful 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 movie everybody does such a good job in it and it's funny because apparently peel travers didn't want dick van dyke in the film but i think he does a great job is his accent great no it's awful but 
but I still think he does a really good job. Uh, it was released August, uh, it had a release date in Los Angeles, August 27th, 1964, 10 days after, uh, 10 days after my birthday, uh, obviously not in 1964, but you know what I mean, uh, and then in, in New York in, on September 24th, 1964, almost a full month after, uh, so the, August 27th is probably the official release, or not the official release, sorry, the, like, the, the premiere that they had at the Chinese, uh, the Chinese theater in Los Angeles, and then t- t- the 24th is probably, was, like, the, the, the official, official release. Uh, the budget at, uh, uh at the time was 4.4 to $6 million, and then ended up, uh, grossing $103 million, $103.1 million, which you know, I I would call it a box office success, <laughs> and thank God too because this movie was like Walt's, it was basically like Walt's last last ditch effort because at this time the the studio was not doing great. It was like on the verge of bankruptcy, and then Mary Poppins, this film, like saved them, and because especially with like after putting a bunch of that money into Disneyland after, after uh, constructing Disneyland. Mary Poppins comes on, freaking sells like crazy, and basically recoups a bunch of the cost, like single-handedly saving that studio, single-handedly saving uh, uh, the Disney studio, uh, which is, which I think is kind of cool. Um, let's see, a couple more, a couple little bits here. Uh, it won five Academy Awards. Best Actress was for uh, Julie Andrews. Best Film Editing. Best Original Score. Best Visual Effects. Best Original Song for Chim Chimarie. Uh, the visual effects is probably because they they, they did the whole um, combination thing with the uh, blah the whole combo thing of live action and animation, which again was not something they very well did in that time. So. Uh, Let's see some development notes here. Uh, the first novel in the Mary Poppins series is the film's main basis because, of course, this is a, mo- a book series. I think there's seven books. I think. Um, I think so. Uh, Walt had been trying to acquire the film, the the rights to this film, for as early as 1938, apparently, from Ms. P. L. Travers, uh, who just continuously uh, refused. Because uh, she just knew she's like no, there's no way a movie can ever do my books justice, uh, which I which I can understand. Uh, but then eventually she did uh, finally agree, and then uh, in 1961 uh, he did he finally succeeded. I think he purchased the rights for I think it was um, I have it right here something like hundred thousand dollars of that time i think it was like a hundred thousand dollars in uh in in the mid-20th century which i think would equate to about seven hundred and fifty uh thousand dollars but then he was also um but then it was also oh here we go uh, so she was paid $100,000, $100, which is equal to $750,000 in 2013 money, and received 5% of the movie's gross earnings. So I would say she did a rich, I, I, I think she, you know, was pretty well financially, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, what's the word? Reimbursed, I think. I think she's pretty well reimbursed for that. Um... 
Yeah, but the the whole story of the Disney Company versus not versus, but the whole connection between Peel Travers and the Disney and Walt, like she was very very even after agreeing, she was like trying so hard to fuck up production of this film, like she didn't want anything she definitely didn't want anything to do with animation like from what i understand she just did not want it but they did it anyway and you know so yeah i, I don't think it's necessarily that they just didn't want to listen but i think it's more that they that walt was like look i know what's going to work with this movie because of course he that's what he was he was he was very much that guy he was he was a visionary just hands down he knew what was going to happen he knew how well it was going to look um and he's like i know what i'm doing you got to just trust me you got to just let me do this because he loved these stories he would read these stories to his kids uh to his to his daughters when they were younger so that's the thing i think is that like this is just another this is just another example of like if you just let a creative come in take something that he cares for and just let him do his thing, their thing. Like, it doesn't even need to be a man. Or it could be anybody. Just let a creative do their thing. You will get a good product from it. And we've seen this happen countless times. Like, 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 with, with, like with Deadpool. And just thinking about, like, modern examples. With Deadpool, you had a big crew of people who loved the story or who loved the character and they produced a film that did that character justice because it was their vision and it killed it. So like, yeah, this is just, it's just an example of like, just let creatives be creative. You will not regret it. So, but of course, you know, sometimes studios come in and producers who don't know what the fuck they're doing will come in and stick their nose where it doesn't belong. Anyway, I'm just bitter about that whole thing. <laughs> Um, what other words here? Okay, so uh, the British Academy Film Awards in 1965, uh, most promising newcomer to leading film roles was given to Julie Andrews. Because again, this is very, very early in her film career. I think this was only like the second actual film role that she was a part of. I think because I feel like she did something else. Mm. I know she she she's obviously done a bunch of stuff in theater and Broadway. Of course, she she originated the role of Eliza Doolittle in. Uh, my Fair Lady. Uh, this the Mary Poppins was shortly after that, uh, but I feel like she did another film. I feel like she did, uh, but I I can't be too sure. Um, what other things did it win? Uh, oh, Julie Andrews won again for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes. Like Julie just fucking killed it because of course she did. Uh, for the Grammys, Best Recording for Children was given to the Sherman Brothers, and uh, Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, Glennis Jones, David Thomason, and Ed Wynn. Uh, and then best original score written for a motion picture or television show was given to the Sherman brothers. So like they, they killed out of the Grammys. Uh, this is all in the same year, 1965, uh, New York film critics circle award, best actress, Ju uh, Julie Andrews was nominated, but didn't win. I don't know who she lost against, but they're wrong. Just fundamentally. I don't care. <laughs> uh, writers guild of America, best written, best written American musical, Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, uh, was given, it uh, was given to them. Uh, I'm not sure what they had to do with this. Um, Bill Walsh. Oh, screenplay. It's because they did the screenplay. That's why. So, yeah. Like, 
this movie just basically kills it. This movie's great. Like, I, I have, like, very, very little bad things to say about this movie. I mean, if I really had to tear it apart, probably um, there's that big there's that big loop uh, plot hole about why she needs every second Tuesday off. Uh, it's not a very diverse movie at all. Um, I don't think it passes the Bechdel test. I don't think. Um... It's got a well. It does have a pretty good balance of male and female characters, um, and I think the female characters all do a pretty good job of like just being themselves and uh, and not compromised for the sake of story. I don't think I'm not. I mean, I, admittedly, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. I don't really like. I'm. I, I have friends who are much better at analyzing this sort of stuff. Uh, but just like, just from the top of my head, I can, I'm, it's, I don't really think of anything that's like bad about this movie. Like, like that are like outright terrible things about the film. If that makes any sense. Yeah. This is a great, it's, it's a great movie. It's a really, really good movie. Um, I think Julian Dick, uh, are still friends today. I think I know, like I've seen many, I've seen many interviews with them and they talk about it. And I think they all talk about it with great, like about filming this movie with like great love. So that's really nice. And I think that's, that's definitely worth something. Uh, it's definitely worth something when even after all this time, you can still remember that, like you can still remember working on a project and you're like, yeah, I had a really good time. Everybody was great. Everything was great. So Yeah. Anyway, uh, next week we're going to look at the sequel of this movie, Mary Poppins Returns, uh, which admittedly feels very different, but I'll get into it next week. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this little review. Again, go see Mary Poppins. It's a fucking banger of a movie. It's great. It's wonderful. It's fun. Every song is is, is singable and like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'll chat with you all next week. I hope you all have a wonderful week and ciao. Bye.